Well, we are really glad that you're here with us. We're on week two of a new series on marriage called One Plus One Equals One, talking about the oneness. And one thing, if you were here with us last week, you saw throughout this series, we're going to have a brief time with a couple each of our weekends. And this is Kevin and Becky Dowdy. And uh, we're really glad that you guys are here today. We thank them. And there, there's a younger version of you um, on the screen. So Pretty much look the same. I don't, I don't see any change. It's always interesting, with two weeks in a row, two weeks in a row, there's been a hair difference with our guys. Um, we'll see if that trend continues, so. Hey, let's do this. I want you, we want to get to know you a little bit. Give us a little context. Tell us how long you guys have been married, kids, grandkids, give a little bit of that history. Sure. Yeah, okay, we've been married next month, June 25th, for 30 years. Coming up. So, praise God. That's all I can say. Thank you, Lord. Um, yeah, we have three wonderful kids Oldest is Aaron, and uh, she's married to Christian, wonderful guy. And they give us, gave us two grandbabies, Jones and Pearl. And we have, of course, Chris and Carissa up here. And uh, we have a third grandbaby coming on the way, thanks to them. And then Sammy over here on keyboards today, so it's been awesome. But uh, she's our, our, little, our youngest. So, uh, yeah, so 30 years, three kids. And uh, there we Today is my birthday. <laughs> Ready? <laughs> we got the celebration season going on. This is awesome. Very cool. Well, you guys, do is this. What we've been doing is we've been asking couples. And by the way, you can hear we had a great uh, conversation on Thursday, recorded like a podcast. I'll tell you where on our website you can find it. Had a great conversation with Kevin and Becky. There's a lot to this story. But just for brevity's sake, we have a short time at the beginning of the service. Give us a big picture. Just tell us about oneness. When you think about oneness in your marriage... How are ways that you've seen that flesh out and that you've experienced that together? Well, we, um, we kind of launched into marriage, like shot out of a cannon. We um, met around May. We, right? Was it? No, we met in December, and we married in June, and we had our first child in December. So in a year... We had a lot of getting to know each other. So that was, that was how we started. Um, and, but, you know, love will find a way. Love is the answer. Love will overcome all odds. That was our idea of one plus one equals one. And so we became this poster child marriage of how we can overcome everything, right? And we are strong and we are passionate and we were in love. And God was somewhere in there because we came to church we stood on stage. I mean, we've been on stage at Trinity for 30 years, um, except for that time that we weren't. And <laughs> because um, even though we did all the right things that we thought we were supposed to be doing, one plus one equals one, it was still one plus one, and we were kind of heading in the same direction, but we maintained this almost duplicitous life. We were this at church. And then we were these struggling, contending, passionate people in our regular life. But what, we, what was the worst part about it was we didn't let anybody know that. That was the duplicitous nature of it. Is. And so then 15 years later when the sinkhole of our marriage drained and we went our separate ways, we kind of tucked our tail and ran and hid and um, when people would ask what happened, it was, well, 15 years of happening. But God is good, and, um, and that's, 
That's just a placebo. He's mean, actually. <laughs> He's one of those parents that you, you know, that you really love, but um, he doesn't let you get away with stuff. So anyway, he met us, and um, what we were challenged by a pastor here is pray. We didn't have a plan. We just knew that we had to start somewhere, and we prayed, and it was not easy. We sat on opposite sides of the bed, no touching, and it was just like, I don't even want to be in the same room with you, but we did it. We did it in obedience, and we, um, we were vulnerable, really, together for the first time before God, and it, was, it became the foundation of the season that we're in now, and it became the beginning and the catalyst of one plus one equals one, and we started to meld and come together, no longer were two parallel lives, but we were learning what our roles were as husband and wife creating a marriage in God's design. And um, for me, I'm this aggressive, gregarious, rebellious nature, and I just wanted to lead, and um, that was always a problem for us, wasn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't think it was, it was a problem. It was subtle. It was good. <laughs> I was okay with it for a while, anyway. But anyway, that was kind of something that I had to step back from and realize that you know what? When I stopped leading, and that and intentionally trusted Kevin, he actually turned out to be a pretty good leader. Um, but it wasn't automatic either. Right. Right. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I think I was thinking last service as we talked about this, this notion of these gaps that we have, and I know Todd spoke, you know, you gaps last week or whatever it was, but um, the, Rocky, uh, the Rocky movie. But, um, you know, me being a kind of a laid-back kind of guy and Becky having this sort of strong personality, I thought, how can this work? And the answer to how can this work in whatever the type of marriage it is, because there's a, there's a myriad of types of marriage, marriages, is... The answer is God, and if we start to do things his way, I began to go into small groups, uh, studies. I just kind of ate it up and really started to learn this concept of laying down my life, which was new to me. The Bible speaks of men uh, loving women like we love ourselves because we naturally want to love ourselves, preserve ourselves. It's all about me, my job, my manhood, my health, my this, my that, my, my, my. And when we lay down our life, there's this freedom, this sort of key that hit the keyhole for me and unlocked my life under God for me. And I think Becky began to realize that as the genesis of something that we can actually build on. And um, that's when it all started to kind of take shape, a little bit at a time. You know, we went a long ways off the highway that God intended us to live on, and we had to go a long ways back. But he blessed us along the way back with signposts of hope. Becky began to trust me. Uh, as she saw me lay down my life and just say, this is not about me. This is about our Lord. And if Christ is my ultimate example of how I'm supposed to live, that's a pretty daring thing. But there's the Holy Spirit and all these small miracles that began to happen that really gave me courage and humility at the same time. And so that's sort of, no matter what the personality, I would encourage you, whether you have a really strong wife and you're a laid-back guy or whatever, God can fill those gaps, and he can make this all make sense in a marriage, and he has in our marriage. So it's been a wonderful process, each day being just a gift, and each day is my favorite day because we're living for the Lord. So.
That's awesome. Would you guys thank these guys? So our goal in doing this, why are we having couples begin our time together? Is we, we want to do this. We want to take, and I, the idea of oneness is a great theory, but it has to land. And I want, to, I want you to see it landing in people's lives that are not named Todd, okay? I want you to see that this is something that's not reserved for people who have been to seminary or people who have some whatever credential. It's not. It's for all of us, but it's not easy. And Kevin and Becky would be the ones to tell you that. I told you, do this. Look at this picture. This is on our website. I want you to go to this page throughout this series. It's under the title on the front page, New Series or New Message Series. But when you click, everything about our series is there. Kevin and Becky's interview is added to that. Walter and Gail were last week. Book recommendations that we'll have. This sheet will have every week taking home that topic. So today, out at the Welcome Center, taking home roles. If you forget, download it at home. That's what that's there for. And then the Waffles and Spaghetti event coming up in June. So we're, we're making much of this series. So much so, how many of you noticed on the way in today the bright orange number one in the plaza? Did anybody see that? Okay. Here's what we're going to do. We thought another way of just kind of enhancing this, we thought this would be a fun thing, is when you walk out today, you can't miss it. It's right there. It's orange for a reason. It, it, it blares. And in that, what we'd love for you to do, take one of the Sharpies that's on the back, and if you're a married couple, write your names and write your anniversary when you got married. We just thought that would be a really cool thing throughout the series to be a demonstration of us saying, God, we want to live your thing your way. You design marriage. You're the author. We want to live it your way. It won't be easy. We can't even do it successfully on our own. But we believe that your spirit working in us can change us and help, us that ha- help that happen. So I want to encourage you with that today. If you have a Bible today, if you'd open it up to Ephesians chapter 5, that's in the New Testament, Ephesians. When we were doing our series on Ephesians when I first came, I reminded you that's that go eat popcorn is a way to find that. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Find your way to chapter 5 and we'll be there in a minute. In your Trinity this week, if you want to take out your notes, have those available, help us track a little bit. It dawned on me uh, after first service that we have a lot of our husbands away at our, our dad kid camp out. Wives, if you're here solo, have them watch this message because we're going to be equal opportunity offenders today, okay? We're going to talk about God's design for a role of a husband and God's design for a role of a wife. And so make sure they don't miss this. They can watch it online anytime throughout the week and uh, then they'll be able to, it'll probably be better having them watch it live than having you tell them all about it and where they need to grow up, okay? That usually goes better that way, so I'd encourage you that. Um, What we did last week is we talked about this. In this series, we are going back to the designer. Like anything you want to understand from the manual, how things are supposed to work together. And so we've said God very clearly in Scripture is the designer of marriage. We want to go to him. We want to ask him, God, what do you have? How would you have us function and relate to one another? That's been our heartbeat. Last week, we shared four reminders. This is throughout the series. Just throughout each week, we're going to say, let's think of this first before we look at anything else. Number one up on the screen. We've chosen to look at the topic of marriage to provide clarity as to what God's word says about the marriage union he designed. Marriage is a very politicized issue in our culture today. We're not doing this series because we want to be political. We're doing this series because we want to see what the Word of God says about something that's so incredibly important, not just maybe in our lives, but even in our culture. That'll be a residual reality. 
Number two, this series is primarily aimed at those who are not yet married so that you would begin to orient your decisions around God's design for marriage now. And I know students, this is the second week in a row, I'm always looking at you on this, but hear this, don't check out because it's like I'm not married, I'm not even close to it, I don't want to think about it. You are going to begin to make decisions that are going to put you in a path to be able to honor the Lord related to this. Those of you who are going to be married someday, don't check out and think this isn't for you. Don't think this doesn't matter. This is incredibly important now. Some of you are here today and you're saying, Todd, I'm single. I don't ever plan on getting married. And I would say this, for, if that's you, I'm really glad you're here. Because within this series, my hope is that you would hear the word of God and you would come alongside and be an encouragement and be a voice of God's truth in the marriages that you are around in your relational world. Be a source of great encouragement for those who are walking this out. Number three, because God's design for marriage is not lived out fully by any of us, there will be constant reminders where you need to grow and mature and not just your spouse but you as well. We said this is a series to look in the mirror. So don't look out the window, look in the mirror and see what it is for you. And lastly, no matter what the state of your marriage, seek the truth of God with the spirit of God in the grace of God to live out the gift of God that he's given you in one another. Let's do this through that lens of God help us and we'll see what God has and what he's gonna grow in us throughout the series and beyond. I have a book recommendation for you weekly, and though this book isn't specifically about roles, it's one of my all-time favorites related to marriage. It's called Sacred Marriage. I'm going to quote from it later on today, written by Gary Thomas. And if nothing else, it's probably one of my favorite uh, subtitles of any book I've ever read. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Just right there, and I grab your attention like, hmm, I got to see what this is about. So my goal is not to have everyone read five books over five uh, weeks, but pick one of these books throughout this series and see how it could be helpful to you as you walk this out. So today we're going to dive in. We we began off last week talking about how oneness is perhaps the most needed element in your marital life. It brings two people together and makes them one. Yet in the midst of oneness, God has done something unprecedented. He has designed marital oneness to grow and blossom as each person fulfills their individual calling. So we're not saying oneness as though God jams these two people together and says, I hope it works. That's just two cats in a bag, okay? That doesn't go well. But instead he said, here is a design. Here's the way that you're to relate to one another. The intimacy, security, and encouragement found in a one flesh relationship actually improves. It improves when each person engages their individual role appropriately. So here's the question. Why is this a challenge? Why won't we just simply read the word of God on these issues and go, that's it. That's what we've needed all along. Let's just do that. One of the biggest problems is, is that you've actually understood marital roles, traditional marital roles as a caricature of what God designed. Meaning, from either things you've seen in the media or things you might have even seen at home, all under the guise of this is God's design, you haven't gotten an accurate picture. Let me show you what I mean. How many of you remember this lady? Right? Remember June? June Cleaver, always this very put-together, apron-wearing, take-care-of-everything-at-the-drop-of-a-hat kind of mom. Okay, And in that, what you saw was this subservient person time over time, and we wondered, is that really what this is called to be? Maybe it was a few decades later, more in my generation, it was Marion Cunningham from Happy Days. 
okay? And Marion was this really well-intended but kind of dim-witted lady who just kind of was a doormat in her home. Is that it? For husbands, maybe it was this way. If you remember Ray Ramon from, or Ray Barone from Everyone Loves Raymond, okay? And what Ray would try to do in every single episode was find a way to not have to lead. Look at the picture. He's behind his wife. It's always that. I don't want to lead. You do it. Or if it wasn't that, it was Tim the Toolman Taylor. And you think of home improvement, and you think of this guy who's just macho. He loves tools that are just incredibly powerful, and he grunts a lot. <laughs> now, I've given you four caricatures, two of wives, two of husbands, that are, are a miss, a miss from what God's design is that doesn't even come close to what we see on television today of family sitcoms. I was being conservative. But within this, here's what I want you to hear. Husbands were typically shown to be people who were weak or preoccupied. Wives were portrayed as merely servants or ditzy. And as a result, you were scared that these were the roles you were called to. I want you to hear today, this is not God's intent. His letter to us, the Bible, God reveals healthy roles. Healthy roles each couple should embrace. And how these fulfill his plan, his design in marriage. And what you're going to see today, they're anything but traditional. Here's our now what idea. You choose to live in marital oneness, not by doing away with roles, but by understanding and fulfilling God's design for them. Not by doing away with them, but understanding and fulfilling God's design for them. Let's dive in. Number one, in your notes, a husband's foundational role is that of a leader. A husband's foundational role is that of leader. Your Bibles are open to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. We're just going to read one verse in a bigger context that we'll look at next week. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of his church, the bo- his body, of which he is the Savior. Look at the comparison. Husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. We're going to use this comparison a lot today because it's so powerful and it's so straightforward. We find this when he says that a husband is called to be the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. It's not really hard to comprehend, but it may be very challenging to accept. It's important to understand that even like today, this concept was anything but easily embraced. Here's what we mean. Paul's writing to a church at Ephesus. Ephesus was the dominant place in the world in the first century for female worship. The goddess Artemis, Diana, had this huge pantheon, this huge uh, temple that was built for her in the city of Ephesus. And what it produced was not only this heightened view of women to the point, she was a goddess of war. So we're talking about a very strong, powerful woman. And what happened in the first century all over the place, but especially in Ephesus, men were over here doing their own thing, living their own universe, while wives were running the show. That was very, very typical in an Ephesian household. So when Paul's saying these words, it's not as though the early church, people in the first century went, yeah, we're already doing that. They're like, "Mm, who can do this? This is really challenging conversations. This is really challenging truth. I don't know if we're going to be able to pull this off. Headship was a culturally laughable idea. Here and across the empire, this concept of headship would be strange at best. Let's see another place that Paul wrote to. He wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Now, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, 
And the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. He's talking about this authoritarian role, this sequence of headship roles between, and we see that again, the head of every woman is man. This is radical stuff for Paul's hearers to read, and it's radical still today. And I think one of the biggest reasons why is we have a misconstrued understanding of headship. The word itself is very challenging for us. In our culture, we talk about things like head coach. We talk about head waiter, the head nurse, lots of other images that come to mind. It usually means the boss, someone who's superior, and sometimes even someone who's a bully. Most of the images are self-serving. But in the time of Paul, these ideas actually, as they would have heard it, first century readers of Paul's letters would not have heard boss and someone who's a bully instead. They would have understood the role to be that of protector. They would have understood the role to be provider. They would have understood the role to be leader. These were the common nuances of that word in that culture. It would be that of responsibility. That's what first century people were hearing when they heard headship. They heard he is responsible. He is a protector provider for his wife. The head of any entity carries the burden of responsibility for the whole. These teachings were indeed strange and yet deeply powerful as they connected a husband's role to his wife as to that of Christ with his church. Just as Jesus leads his church, so husbands are commanded to lead their wives and families. The real question is not if the husband is leading in the home. The question is how well is he doing it? Every time that I've done premarital counseling with a couple, I will look at that groom-to-be. I'll look him in the eye and say, welcome to leadership. And it has nothing to do with how great of a leader he is on the job. Nothing to do with how great of a leader he is in organizations. It's all about within this relationship. God has called you to be responsible. God has called you to be protector. God has called you to be provider. God's called you to be a leader. So let's see, how does a husband lead like Christ? In your notes, letter A, his leadership is both God-given and gained. His leadership is both God-given and gained. And here's what I mean by that. Men, we're going to look at two different dynamics. Probably very few of us live in the balance of where God wants us, so we're usually in one of two areas. The first side is this lording aspect. And what you're going to see is often, I'll just put it this way, in your home, if you are consistently quoting this passage about how your wife needs to get under your leadership, I'm going to tell you there's most likely something missing. You're recognizing the God-givenness of this role, but you're failing in the area of how it's gained. Look at the example of Jesus. Although God designed a husband's role in marriage to be that of leadership, he gains the right to lead by dying to himself. Listen to this quote. Leaders don't inflict pain, they bear it. Leaders don't inflict pain, they bear it. This is how Christ gained his right to lead the church. It was a God-given mission. Go and do this thing. Redeem my people But the way that Jesus actually did it is he died on a cross. So too, husbands must carry a cross in their lives that says they will sacrifice all for their wives. Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is in the context of when Jesus is saying, you're watching the leaders in your culture and they use leadership as a weapon. They use it to keep people down. They lord it over them. I'm telling you something different. Leadership begins at the bottom. 
It begins by being a servant to those that you're called to be responsible for. Here's our problem, men, is that often in our sin, we begin to lead in an overbearing and heavy-handed way. We can put our foot down and throw our weight around, put this authority in our family's faces. We can demand our way without question. We can bark orders, yell, scream, and fight. Watch this. In the end, we won't be leading, we'll be lording. Just the opposite of what Jesus called us to be. Your role is not that of a dictator. Though you have a position of authority in your home, in your marriage, it's always monitored by your divine call of responsibility. Now, we said husbands are going to struggle with one of two extremes in the balance. On the one hand, those of us who are dictators, on the others of us, those of us who just won't stand up. We are by nature, Kevin said, his nature is casual, laid back. And what that often brings is, I just don't want to step up and make decisions. It's just easier to not speak up. In this reluctant leadership, realize that a promise to love is connected intimately to the commitment to lead. Elizabeth Elliot, incredibly wise woman, she wrote this. A woman cannot properly be the responder unless the man is properly the initiator. He must take the lead in order that she may follow as in a dance. The willingness of each to perform the steps that have been choreographed gives the other freedom. I can't tell you how many times when I was doing marital counseling as a family pastor and I would sit down with a couple, this often came up, where a husband just for a host of reasons didn't want to step into this role to lead. And as we talk this through, one of the things I tried to help him understand a little bit from his wife's perspective, it's very hard to understand when you're not in your own shoes. But I was trying to help him understand you two are driving in a car and you're driving down the street and anything can happen in a car when you're not paying good attention. The minimum is usually injury, often death. So imagine you're driving down the highway and as you're going, you just decide, you know what, it is easier in this moment to take my hands off the wheel. And in that moment, when your wife is sitting in the driver's seat, what other choice does she have but to reach over and grab the wheel? Nobody else seems to be driving. Now, that may happen a time or two, but what happens is this becomes a culture in a marriage. And a wife is driving from the wrong seat. And the problem is today, where you're here, I would say if you're new in your marriage and you already see these tendencies, begin to address them now. If you've been married for decades and this is simply the rut you're living in, address them now. It's never too late. Kevin and Becky would be the first to tell you that. Fifteen years in, it was imploding. And God brought incredible healing and wholeness to a very broken relationship. Men, we've got to step into the God-designed role of leadership. Don't worry about the concern of lording. You're so far over here, that's probably never going to happen. That's not your tendency. But instead, take steps, actively do this. Because why? One of the biggest reasons is your wife wasn't in this relationship intended to leave. You're putting her in a position where she's not living according to her design. You're doing both of you damage when you live this way. Begin to step up. Begin to see God honor your obedience. Let her be in your notes. His leadership involves meeting practical needs in the home. His leadership includes meeting practical needs in the home. The reason we say that is we had great needs. 
The biggest of that being forgiveness and salvation, life eternal. Jesus came, met the biggest needs of our lives. So likewise, we're called out of that example to meet the needs in our home, to meet the needs in our marriage. One of those key expressions of leadership by a husband is providing for the practical needs at home. Look how Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is some incredibly powerful language. And don't catch this. This is not saying my husband went unemployed for six months. This is saying my husband doesn't have an interest in providing for us as a family. That's what we're talking about when that becomes the culture and the habit. Now, just like we talked about, God wants us to live in this balance. For some of us, we're living way over here, just not even interested in taking care of financial needs, taking care of things around the house. Conversely, there's some over here who say, you know what? That's not a problem for me. I work 60 hours a week to make sure all of her needs are met. I'm not ever there. And when I am, I'm not really present because I'm so pooped. But I'm doing this thing. And I would say, you know what? In the same way, in the same way, whenever we live out in these extremes and not in this balance, we're equally making a problem. How can I lead if when I'm home, I have nothing to offer? Instead, I have given in to the mistress of work. And I've given her my best rather than my wife and my kids. Practical needs of the home is an aspect of living out leadership. Let her see his leadership results in his wife blossoming. His leadership results in his wife blossoming. When you think about Jesus' leadership, we're making so many connections, so many illusions today, because that's the illusion made. Just like Jesus loves the church, so husbands love your wives. Look at what happened to those who Jesus led. Look at the relationship. Look at the changes, things that would have never been thought of, that ordinary fishermen, ordinary former tax collectors, former uh, political rebels, all of these were in this group of followers of Jesus. Look at the men that they became, how they progressed, how they grew underneath Jesus' leadership. Courage, compassion, and character came out of the lives of his followers because of his leadership. When they were arrested in, the, in Acts chapter 4, verses 13, look what they said about them. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They had developed and bloomed under Jesus' leadership. Max Dupree, a highly respected author and leadership expert, look what he said. The measure of leadership is, in the, is not in the quality of the head, but in the tone of the body. The measure of the quality of leadership is not in the quality of, of the head, but in the tone of the body. The signs of outstanding leadership appear primarily among the followers. Husbands, I'd say to you today, as you are living a life that's producing the right kind of soil for your wife to bloom and grow. That's one of the greatest blessings of living this way as a husband, of getting to see her shine, getting to see her being an environment where she completely excels. This is one of the aspects of how we gauge our leadership. They provide the necessary environment and nutrients to allow growth. All right, I said equal opportunity offender. Ladies, let's talk. Number two, a wife's foundational role is that of a helper. A wife's foundational role is that of helper. Back to Genesis 2. This is where we read last week, 2 verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. 
Now, what we know in the created order, God is making, as he's creating the world, he's saying, this is good, this is good, this is good. For the very first time, when he sees Adam in his aloneness, he sees Adam in his lack of completion of gaps, he says it's not good. The only time in all the creation process it's not good is when he sees Adam alone. So God, we saw this last week, God brings him this helpmate. God brings him this woman. And as a result, he sees this amazing sense of what we begin to find, this filling of each other's gaps. Here's the problem. In our culture, the word helper carries some unwanted baggage. Just like the word headship can be confusing as the way we use it, so the word helper can mean this as well. It's often seen as someone who is subservient to another, someone who has little input or little influence. It's a term that very few of us ever would say we find endearing. Yet the word, much like headship, the Bible defines also very differently than we do. Let's look at it. The root word for the word helper is the word azar. Azar, and it's used 80 times in the Old Testament and generally indicates military assistance. Bringing in the guns. But more than just that, it's a primary reference to God. God is often called our helper, our azar. Let me show you what I mean. Deuteronomy 33, 29. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and your azar, your helper, and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and you will trample down their high places. From Psalm 33, verse 20. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our azar, our help, and our shield. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my azar, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You see, in the context of everywhere else we look in the Old Testament, a helper is one who is strong and dependable. This is a person of significance who often provided assistance to a person in need. You might remember from a summer or two ago this movie about a guy named Steve Trevor. Steve Trevor's out to fight all the bad guys, but he needs someone to help him deeply, and she looks like this. Right? And, and that's what Wonder Woman is. She comes up, and she, she, here he is. He's on a mission. He's trying to beat the bad guys. He can't do it by himself. He has a helper. He has this azar come in who we would all agree much more dependable, reliable than him. So the Bible is not using this term in some diminutive way. The term helper in scripture is one of honor and value implies no second tier status. In fact, it's a compliment biblically to be called helper. We've seen that through. The nation of Israel is to praise God because he is their helper. Watch this in the New Testament. You'd remember in Jesus's final words to his disciples, John 16, he says to them, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit as what? A helper. I'll send you the helper to help you engage, to actually do things more amazing than even I have done. So ladies, let's begin from the beginning. This concept of helper is never meant to be diminutive. I know in our English culture, English language culture, it comes across that way. Biblically, it has no connotation like this. God made man with needs. It, watch this. It wasn't an accident or an oversight. God made Adam with gaps on purpose, and the creation of woman was a strong statement of his need. 
It showed a great need within man, but then at the same time revealed how God met it instantly. It's a beautiful picture at this wedding of God bringing Adam and Eve together. And remember it says in Genesis 1, he made them in his image, male and female, he created them. Does it say he made man, males, in his image? He made male and female in his image. And together, they make a formidable team. They demonstrate and represent the image of God. This foundational role for a wife to help her husband be what God requires of him. A helping wife is essential to the success of her husband. As the husband leads by sacrificing and giving up his rights for the wife, a wife in turn helps fill those gaps created by his sacrifice. It's a beautiful picture of a godly helper. When I think in my mind of an example of this kind of a, a helper, a help meet is even the very literal rendering. I don't have to look far. In my 25 years of being married to Joanna, I have just seen her time and time again meet needs, come alongside of me, be strong where I am weak, and be someone who is so for me. And she has understood. We, we didn't start this thing thinking that we were going to be in ministry. We had no idea. And as God has continued to fashion both of us to what he's still doing in us, I've seen this woman just completely embrace this role of saying, Todd, I've been called to come alongside you. Uh, it was so funny. Early on in youth ministry, people would compliment the way an event would go. Man, it was so organized. You guys are so dialed in. I just kind of leaned back and go, you should go tell her. Because she's the brains in this organization. She's amazingly organized. She's thoughtful. She's so good across the table while I'm up on a stage. And God's taken those union of those two different gifts and we work together. We have that team mentality. And I just go, that's why when I look at this passage, though there are struggles at times, though there are challenges to living in our lanes, living as a leader, living as helper, it's not as though there's no challenge with that. But when we do it well, I know it puts a smile on the face of God, and it's incredibly mutually beneficial. I know if she were up on this stage today and sharing about this role, she would say, I gladly enjoy stepping into this role of helper. And if you're wondering how I know that, I asked her this morning. <laughs> Let's look at it. What does a helping wife look like? A, she mirrors the church's followership of Jesus. She mirrors or she demonstrates the church's followership of Jesus. Back to that same verse. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Her husband is identified with Jesus as head, as protector, provider. So she's identified with the church, Jesus' followers, his representatives on the planet. And the comparison is that of a husband who fulfills the role of headship, We've just looked at that. Now she is called to live in a posture like the church does towards its leader, towards its uh, savior. So how do we see Jesus' church relate to its savior? Well, as followers watching and responding to his lead. What is the church? We are his followers watching and responding to his lead. And it's in that that we recognize two very important and powerful aspects of why God has ordained marriage roles in this manner. The first is this, in any relationship between two people, 
You can't have two leaders. In any relationship between two people, you can't have two leaders. Some of you in a workplace, you've actually been put in a position like that before. You are co-supervisors, co-managers. It's horrible and it blows up. In a relationship between two people, you need a leader and a follower. There's also another powerful reality. A thing that I didn't even need to tell you, wives, but you were thinking about from the moment we mentioned this. Jesus is a better leader than your husband. Because look at the the, the symbol. Respond to your husband as the church responds to Jesus. Well, let's look at the quality of leadership for a minute. One is the one-of-a-kind son of God, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, completely selflessly loving. He's easier to follow than your husband because he's not all those things or even close. So this presents a challenge. God, how am I supposed to follow the lead of a fragile, broken husband? Who we're not only talking about, does he get it right all the time? That's not even the issue. It's who's he thinking of? Because it often looks a lot like himself. How do I do this? I want you to hear this today. As God is growing your husband in his selflessness and leadership because he's married to you, so God is going to develop your ability to trust and follow because you're married to him. I told you earlier I was going to quote the book Sacred Marriage today. This is what Gary Thomas would contend. He would say that your marriage, those of you who are married today, your marriage, and not just marriage theoretically, your spouse. Your spouse is the most incredible tool of discipleship. Remember, we're defining discipleship, becoming more like Jesus. Your spouse is the most incredible tool of discipleship in your life that God has to help you continue to grow to become like his son. That's why we need to see marriage through this lens. Not so much about making us happy, but making us holy. And by the way, I surely don't mean to infer because marriage isn't meant to be happy at all. No, no. But, but when we live according to God's design and we find that mutual, I was telling someone earlier today, that's always my heartbeat. Whenever I do couples counseling, my, I know they're coming to see me because things are bad, right? Why would you come otherwise? So as we're talking, my heartbeat is always this. My marriage to Joanna, Joanna's marriage to me is not perfect, but it's a blessing. Meaning it's not a weight. It's not something that we just go, oh, this is like the hardest thing in my life. Anything but. But when a couple comes in to see me, that's the place where they're at. That's the season they're in. And my heartbeat is, I want you to know the blessing of marriage. Or you would just say, God, thank you. And I know right now it's anything but. Let her be. She engages her gifts to work as a teammate. She engages her gifts to work as a teammate with her husband. I was thinking about some of the marriages that are presented in Scripture narratively. And when you look at those, many of them are actually very far off the mark. Not just wives, obviously, but husbands. But there are a few that are notable that are just beautiful examples of this principle. And one is that of Aquila and Priscilla. Paul writes about them in the book of Acts, chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. In Corinth, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. 
So Paul, all we have is just a cursory explanation of who this couple are. They have two things in common with him. Their Jewish background and the fact of their vocation. They're tent makers. They sew fabric together to create tents. Paul was learned in this same vocation. Now, we don't even know from this what we just read. We don't even know if they're Jesus followers yet. And it wouldn't even surprise me if they weren't. Because Paul had this way of being used by God. That when people came in contact with him, they recognized Jesus in him and wanted to follow. But at some point, they they surrendered their lives to Jesus And whether it be in their vocation or whether it be in their ministry, their teammate mentality is described through the rest of Scripture where their names come up. Look at notably in his prayer, Romans 16, 3 and 4. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. That's a pretty high compliment. And because they serve together as great teams. It doesn't say that their gifts were the same. It doesn't say that they were great teams because they were so alike. Probably just the opposite. They made a great team because they complemented each other so well. And here's one thing I want to say. I love to get opportunities. I need to do it more because they're so prevalent. But one of the easy ways to compliment the people of Trinity Church and affirm them is how often I see this dynamic in place. Couples who serve, who find roles that they can work together as a team, whether it be our pastors and their spouses, our elders and their wives, lay leaders and their spouses, it is so easy to find across lines at Trinity Church of people who say, you know what, as a married couple, we want to serve together, use our gifts in unison, though they're different, I guess better word is harmony, use our gifts in harmony to better other people to come alongside them. It's a beautiful example. Let her see. Her actions bring blessing to her husband and family. Her actions, her behaviors, her lifestyle brings blessing. From Proverbs 31, a wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Look at all those descriptors. Of the kind of blessing that a wife is to her husband. She brings him good, not harm. In so many areas of their life together, she is a joy to him. And look at the response. I love this. Still from the same chapter of Proverbs 31. Look at what a husband's response ought to be. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you, you surpass them all. Great words. Let's wrap it up today. Number three, spend time with the role maker. Here we've talked about these two foundational roles of leader and helper. Now we're going to talk about spend time with the role maker. Some of us today, you're just sitting there going, this, this is so crazy. This is so much to take in. And, and I look at, we look at where we're at and we're just not seeing us being on track. We're not seeing us walk this way. My whole goal is to not overwhelm. My whole goal is to bring you the truth of Scripture for you to begin to look at it, then ask the questions, God, how do we begin to change? God, how would you change us? Now, some of you today might just be downright frustrated. I don't even get this. I don't like it. It doesn't appear. Whatever. That's fine. I want to say this. No matter if you're hurting or if you're just absolutely frustrated, go to the role maker. This isn't me today. I haven't shared Todd's thoughts on anything. And if you're confused, 
If you're hurting, God, how do we become this? Go to him. Go to him, not just to know the truth, but to seek the help so you can have the capability to live out his design in your marriage. Prayer. And I don't mean just prayer. I mean prayer together. The kind of prayer that Kevin and Becky talked about today when we got real with each other, vulnerable before God and each other, that's when healing began. That was one of the basic foundational stones in us rebuilding what had fallen apart. And I would dare say it might be the most basic initial way that you can live out your roles. Husbands, when you initiate and you say, you know what, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be all wordy and verbose. Let's just come together and talk to God tonight. And for your wife to come alongside, wife as a follower, a helper, to say, I'm there. That could be one of the most profound, basic ways to live out your roles even in the midst of things being really hard. Take a look. John Piper knows what this is about. Take a look. So we have for years and years and years knelt beside our bed before we go to bed. And I've, as the leader, I kneel first to invite her to kneel. And there have been times when we can spare, scarcely talk to each other. Haven't had sex for three or four weeks. It's bad. And I kneel. My wife is submissive. She kneels. We can't talk. Now, you can view that as pure hypocrisy, right? <laughs> How can you come before the throne? First go get your matter settled, and then come and offer your gift. We've tried. 33 months in counseling. How, how long do you have to try before you start praying again? No. We won't go there. We will get down on our knees, and John Piper, the leader, will say one word. Help. Amen. And we'll get into bed and put our backs to each other. And I'm glad. Because we're through those times. We're through. Why are we through? Probably in one reason, because we did that. That was pure obedience to my God. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to talk to her. I didn't want to look vulnerable. I didn't want to admit I was wrong, or she didn't want to admit she was wrong. So we're on our knees. And I say, men, men do this because it'll be a barometer of how it's going. And it was a barometer. It's going bad. But what a... I mean, there'll be times I can remember I, would, I just didn't want to say anything. I'm just kneeling there. And I said, you're the leader. You've taught everybody in the world that you're supposed to lead. <laughs> do it. And all I could do was say, God, help us. We need your help. Amen. That's leadership. Crummy, lousy, no good, inadequate leadership, but real, necessary at that moment, leadership. Obviously not the kind of consistent prayer time that we would want to say as an example, but we'd also say in the moments where we're broken, this is where we start. So here's what we wanted to do. 
we want to put before you a prayer challenge as couples throughout this next 21 days between now and June the 10th. We have these bookmarks as a catalyst for things to pray about at all the exits today. And I would say this. Um, our goal is not legalism. Our goal is not, okay, do you pray every day? You know, we're going to be checking in on you. Our goal is a catalyst. We believe that something that you do 21 days in a row begins to become a habit. So that's why we're doing it. And our hope is this. Our hope is that it would foster something that you're just, being wait, you're just waiting to be asked. Would you do this? Would you pursue this? Now, those of you who are single, aren't married yet, here's what I ask you to do. Take the same card. And think of the people in your relational world and over the next 20 days, make it a focal point to pray for their health. Make it a focal point to pray for their oneness. And here's what we're going to do. At the end of that time, June the 10th, we're going to give you the opportunity to report and see how it went. And for those of you who did that, just daily prayer for marriages, for your marriage or someone else's, we're going to ask you to take your welcome card, take it out to the the welcome center, and we're going to give you a $10 coffee or an ice cream date. For me, the biggest challenge is I don't know which to pick because I love them both deeply. (laughs) But that's what we want to do just to encourage you, begin this as a catalyst. Begin praying together, see what God would do that no message could ever help. But something he would want to do because you begin to take him seriously. Here's our now what idea. What are we leaving with this week? You choose to live in marital oneness, not by doing away with roles, but by understanding and fulfilling God's design for them. Let me pray. Father God, we've looked at uh, information from your word today. God, this, your truth about what you've called us to as husbands and wives. And God, there is a lot of challenge. Yeah, I would dare say none of us will ever be able to do this well apart from your power, apart from your truth and your grace. So we would humbly come before you today as husbands and wives who want to continue to walk in our roles, who want to continue to live out your design and God, would we not, would we, for some of us, just going to have to take your word for it. We're just going to have to believe that this is how you've designed it. Help us to have the courage and the faith to step forward. And God, as we do, would you begin to show us the beauty of your design? Show us, God, the blessing that we've been missing in our marriages that is just waiting for us. And God, we know, we know, we know we need your help to do it. We love you. Thank you so much for your clarity. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.